The Evolve Network is now live at evolvenetwork.tv. Subscribe for meal plans, recipes, cooking shows, and our very own The Magic Pill and The Magic Plant, as well as access to my favorite documentaries. The Evolve Network is also home to our full library of podcasts, with new release podcasts airing first and in full on the channel. You can also watch selected vodcasts in a video format. Enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to evolvenetwork.tv for the full Evolve podcast experience. The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Dr. Dale Bredesen is an internationally recognized expert in the mechanisms of neurodegenerative diseases. Dr. Dale Bredesen's career has been guided by a simple idea, that Alzheimer's as we know it is not just preventable, but reversible. Thanks to a dedicated pursuit of finding the science that makes this a reality, this idea has placed Dr. Bredesen at the vanguard of neurological research and has led to the discoveries that today underline the RECODE report. Dr. Bredesen earned his MD from Duke University Medical Center and served as Chief Resident in Neurology at the University of California, San Francisco, before joining Nobel Laureate Stanley Prusiner's laboratory at UCSF. As an NIH postdoctoral fellow, he held faculty positions at UCSF, UCLA, and the University of California, San Diego. Dr. Bredesen also directed the program on aging at the Burnham Institute before joining the Buck Institute in 1998 as founding president and CEO. Dr. Bredesen's research explores previously uncharted territory in explaining the physical mechanisms behind the erosion of memory seen in Alzheimer's disease and has opened the door to new approaches to treatment. This work has led to the identification of several new therapeutic processes that are showing remarkable early results. Dr. Bredesen is a prodigious innovator in medicine, with over 30 patents to his name. Notably, he put much of his findings and research into the 2017 New York Times bestseller, The End of Alzheimer's. His follow-up book is The End of Alzheimer's Protocol. To find out more about Dr. Bredesen, please visit ApolloHealthCo.com. That's A-P-O-L-L-O 
H-E-A-L-T-H-C-O.com. Dale, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you, brother? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Pete? Great. Wonderful to be able to connect with you again. This is the second time we've had a conversation and I just want to say thank you for trusting me and allowing me to share your message that I think uh, the world needs to hear. And how are you, by the way? You know, we're going through the same thing that everybody else is, sheltering in place, social distancing. And of course, you know, I'm in a bad risk group. I'm an older guy. Of course, males are affected more than females. I've got the wrong blood type also. So, uh, you know, I'm at high risk if I get this. Of course, I'm trying to stay healthy with all the right things, as so many of us are with the right, you know, vitamin D and zinc and, and taking some AHCC for my cellular immune system and all this sort of stuff. But I think, you know, we're all kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with this terrible pandemic. I hope you guys are staying safe. Yeah, we are. Thank you for asking, brother. So I would love to just expand on that just a little bit, because you mentioned a few things there that you're doing for yourself. And I love to cover that off because there doesn't seem to be a lot of information coming through the mainstream narrative and from our health authorities. So what are you doing in particular? Can you sort of take us through your sort of, I guess, would you call it a protocol or your common sense way of looking at this coronavirus? And how do you protect yourself before we dive into your new book? Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, as a preamble here, let me say that, you know, what we have looked at in the lab and you and I have talked about before with respect to Alzheimer's disease, we've talked about all the different things that predispose you that are risk factors for Alzheimer's, such as hypertension, vascular disease, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, on and on, some of the nutrient deficiencies, hormonal deficiencies. Well, what's happened is these things that over decades increase our risk for cognitive decline, of course, with the pandemic, SARS-CoV-2 has compressed these same risk factors into a couple of weeks. So in fact, we're seeing some of the same sorts of things. And it's been interesting. Many of the functional doctors have said, you know, if their patients tend to get COVID-19, it tends to be much more mild. We'll see. There, Of course, there's a lot known about the comorbidities, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, obesity, these sorts of things. So we are seeing some of this being about ill health. And interestingly, if you look at the immune system changes, they're mirrored. Again, what you see in Alzheimer's and what you see with COVID-19 mirror each other. So as you know, with COVID-19, what you have is a scenario where you have a poor outcome often when you have a hyperactivation of the innate immune system. You have cytokine storm, and that's what kills many people along with the hypercoagulable state, things like that. On the other hand, the ability to activate the adaptive system and to clear this is not quite enough. It's not keeping up with this in people who are doing poorly. This is exactly what we see with Alzheimer's disease. What is Alzheimer's? You collect this amyloid beta, which is part of your innate immune system. So people with Alzheimer's have chronic activation of the innate system, but they don't have a good enough adaptive system to clear whatever it is that's the insult. And we've talked about some of these insults, whether it's herpes simplex, you know, whether it's related to P. gingivalis from your mouth or T. denticola or F. nucleatum or Borrelia, Lyme disease, things like this, or HHV6A. There are these various pathogens and toxins And in fact, if you look at the Alzheimer's patients, what happens is they tend to have poor 
phagocytosis and antigen presentation. And what are the, some of the things that help that? Vitamin D, omega-3s, the very things that we talk about as helping cognition. So you ask, what am I doing with respect to prevention of COVID-19 and hopefully getting a good outcome if I do get it? And of course, it's interesting to me that you know there's this argument about whether this is mostly an airborne spread or large droplet spread. And interestingly, there are data on both. But in general, as you know, the vast majority of the infection has been indoors, not outdoors. So, you know, we're trying to stay away from indoor places where you're now got, you know, you're interacting with people in a much closer space. Whether this is going to be an issue with duct work and things like that remains to be seen. In one interesting case where there was a fan in a restaurant, the people downstream were all getting it and the people upstream were not arguing that this is more likely large droplets and not airborne, but of course, so-called airborne, tiny, tiny droplets. But again, this is still a controversial area, so it remains to be seen. So what I'm doing basically is making sure my vitamin D is optimized with K2 as well, of course, making sure my zinc is optimized. Big issue for your immune system, big issue for diabetes, big issue for cognitive decline. As I mentioned, I'm using AHCC, uh, which is active hexose correlated compound, which is actually something that supports your helper T cells. Because, you know, in general, fighting viruses, although antibodies are important, in general, the cellular part of the immune system is even more important. And then, of course, hypertension is another issue in vascular disease. So, of course, there's a lot more now of quantified self, you know, that we're all getting exposed to. So, you know, you can use aura rings, you can, you know, look at your sleep, you can look at your oxygen saturation and I do check my oxygen saturation. You can check it on your iPhone very quickly, very easily, checking my blood pressure, all these sorts of things. Of course, getting outdoors, not getting exposed indoors to people, getting exercise every day, trying to get into mild ketosis. Interestingly, there's just been a grant that's given for studies of ketosis. Yeah, of course, there are a number in Alzheimer's. There's just been one also reported on looking at this for COVID-19. We'll see. As the researchers mentioned, you know, there's no evidence yet that that ketosis helps COVID-19 by itself. But in terms of supporting immune function, supporting mitochondrial function, supporting energetics, which again, abnormal in Alzheimer's disease, very helpful. So, and then there's a whole, you know, set of things, you know, making sure that you have you know, enough vitamin C as well, uh, making sure I like to take some S-acetyl glutathione and some NACA times. So, you know, again, all these things are just trying to optimize physiology. Mm. I've been looking at your book and once, one thing I want to say is thank you for sharing with that as well. I think a lot of people yeah, are probably yeah. writing things down and they're going to go back and listen to that as well. And I think the uh, HCCC or HCCC or ACCC that you mentioned, that's a-, a new one for me. Yeah, AHCC. AHCC. Yeah, active hexose correlated compound, AHCC. Is that found naturally in any foods or is that? Yeah, it's in mushrooms. It's in some mushrooms, yeah. And this is so the AHCC is actually a mushroom extract. As you know, I mean, mushrooms are turning out to be just a wealth (laughs) of all sorts of amazing nutrients in so many ways. And this is one of the ones. So this is a mushroom extract and turns out to, it was actually suggested originally by very interesting woman who whose daughter had developed a herpes HHV6A encephalopathy and who turned around. So she's actually now looking at different things, has a whole project on looking at things that activate the cellular immune system and potentially could 
provide protection. So the idea is, could we, could this help a number of people who have this inflammatory type one Alzheimer's that often have pathogens like HSV or other viruses, things like that. And again, you know, coming back to what you and I talked about before, you know, there are so many of these things. If you look at the brains of patients with Alzheimer's, what you find in there is you find fungi, you find spirochetes, you find oral bacteria, you find viruses. So in fact, what we're calling, what is called Alzheimer's disease is nothing but a pathology. It is literally a response to these various insults, and they include metabolic insults, and they include various toxic insults. And they, of course, they include noteworthy thing people eating the wrong food for a lot of years, you know, too much processed food, too much sugar, things like that. So all of these things contribute to the pathology that we call Alzheimer's disease. Mm, interesting. I've loved reading your latest book that you sent me. So thank you for that as well. And I released a book last year called Heal, Healthy Eating and Living. And it's a very small sort of 101 ways in which we could live in a modern world. And each page is a different thing. And I usually just put a paragraph or two. But what I found fascinating is reading your book over the last week is seeing pretty much everything that I wrote in there mirrored in yours, but yours is on a scientific level, you know, you actually break down everything, why this works, how to sleep properly, how the temperature of your room is important, all of these wonderful things. And I'd love to explore this with you in greater detail today. And anybody that's listening, please go back to our first conversation or our first podcast with Dr. Bredesen, because you're going to find so many nuggets of wisdom in there and knowledge. And today is about exploring above and beyond that and what you have learned in the years since you released your first book, The End of Alzheimer's. And that's what I want to share with the audience today. So what have you learned over the last few years since the release of your last book? What's the most remarkable thing that you would love to share if there is one or is it a multitude of things? Just a couple of points, I think, to summarize. So number one, um, the first book was really a conceptual book. So the first book was what did 30 years in the lab teach us about how the brain falls apart when you have Alzheimer's? We spent many years researching this phenomenon, looking at the molecular biology that's associated with brain degeneration. The whole idea was degenerative diseases are the areas of greatest biomedical therapeutic failure. As they say, everybody knows, an, knows a cancer survivor, no one knows an Alzheimer's survivor. So we wanted to delve into what are the things that drive this process? And what was beautiful about this, you can then see the signaling from the amyloid precursor protein. And you can see that this thing literally functions like a molecular switch. When you drive it the right way, which you do with appropriate nutrients and hormones and trophic factors and reductions in stress and reductions in pathogens and toxins, it's a beautiful support of making and keeping new synapses. That same molecule, when driven in the opposite way, you withdraw the support and you add things like toxins and like inflammagens, pathogens. What happens, the same molecule gets cleaved at different sites and you now make peptides that are literally telling your brain, pull back. It's just as if you've got you know, the president of your country saying, we're being invaded. It's time to pull back. And you know, people said for a while, well, how could you say that Alzheimer's is a protective response? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it's interesting. COVID-19 has provided a perfect analogy. What has happened in COVID-19? We've pulled back because there's an insult out there, which is this virus. We have pulled back 
to protect ourselves against this virus. And what's happened? Financially, things are falling apart. We're now in a recession. And so this shows a beautiful example of what Alzheimer's is. It's a pulling back where you're now losing, you're losing the ability to make synapses as you are protecting yourself. Mm. And this is what the, so the first book was really about the concept and people kept saying, we want more details. Where do we go? What websites? What do we buy? What are the workarounds? All these things. And so what we did was really unique. And and that's why I'm enthusiastic about this book that's going to be published in August. The idea here is I worked with someone, we took three of us together. We have a scientist we have a clinician, and we have a user. And so Julie G., who's the one who started ApoE4.info, wonderful website for people who are ApoE4 positive. There are over 3,500 people on there, the vast majority on some version of this protocol. And so she herself is a 4-4, and she's come out publicly with that, and she talks about that in the book. And so she's written with us all the things that she's doing. She's been extremely successful her, um, again, she's made no, she's not hidden this, her uh, cognitive decline, which was quite significant, she went from 35th percentile in her cognitive testing to 98th percentile, where she's scoring repeatedly. And she's now been on this for eight years. So as you know, with the typical approach to cognitive decline, you may get a little bump and then you go right back to declining. When you're actually getting at the cause and the contributors to this decline, then you actually see a sustained improvement. That's the most exciting part, that these people improve and they stay improved for years. So as you indicated, part of this is about, you know, what have we learned in the last you know, in the last six years, since we started, published the first paper in 2014, we started the first people on this in 2012. What we've learned is that this is the right track, but the things that are critical for getting this right in the most times. One, we didn't know initially about some of the toxins. So a good example, recently we had someone actually had propylene oxide as a significant toxin that was contributing and actually detoxing from that helped this person to begin to get better. And I'm going to interrupt just for one second. One, I want to ask what that propylene is. But number two, just because you mentioned that lady before talking about the gene, can you just quickly talk about that gene so people understand what that is? Yes. So there are dozens of genes that increase risk for Alzheimer's disease. They are risk. And 95% of Alzheimer's disease is so-called sporadic Alzheimer's disease. So in other words, it's not your destiny. You have a lot to say about it, just as you do with cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes and many others. So they affect your risk. The most common one is the one you just alluded to, which is ApoE. And ApoE has typically two, three, or four. These are, it's ApoE2 or three or four. You get one copy from your mother, of course, one copy from your father. So for example, I checked myself, I'm an ApoE3-3, which is kind of the vanilla. It's the typical ApoE that most of us are. In the United States, for example, three quarters of us are ApoE4 negative. We don't have a copy of ApoE4. If you have zero copies, your chance of getting Alzheimer's during your lifetime is about 9%. 
It's not terribly high, not zero, but it's not terribly high. If you have a single copy, it's about 30%, so dramatic impact. If you have both copies, which Julie has, for example, then in fact, it's well over 50%. It's more likely that you will develop it than that you will escape it. So therefore, we would like everyone to find out their status. And of course, in the past, everything has been backwards. People say there's nothing you can do about Alzheimer's, so don't bother finding out. Nothing could be further from the truth. The most important thing we've learned about cognitive decline of Alzheimer's is that the armamentarium for it is huge. And it has to do with what you eat and your sleeping and your exercise and your brain training and your stress and your hormone levels and your trophic factors. And all of these different things are critical. And so there is a tremendous amount you can do both in prevention and especially in early reversal. The farther, the longer you wait, the harder it is to get reversal. Although we have seen improvements in people, even with MOCA scores of zero late stages. So this is why we believe it's important for everybody to find out. So in, in the US, one quarter of the population, about 75 million people have a single copy and about 7 million people have two copies. So let's see, what's the population of Australia currently? 25, 26 million. Yeah, okay. So what that means is about 6 million people will have a single copy in Australia, and most won't know it. And then somewhere on the order of 300,000 or so, Let's see, so 26 million, two, six, yeah, so about 5 million, actually, 500,000, sorry, will have, yeah, will have uh, two copies. So, and again, most won't know it. So uh, critical to find these things out. And again, we've talked about this before, we recommend that everybody who's 45 years of age or older, and especially if there's any family history of Alzheimer's, just as you, when you turn 50, you know to get a colonoscopy, get a cognoscopy when you turn 45 or older, find out where you stand. Find out whether you've got ApoE4 because there's so much you can do about it. The earlier, the better. Find out what your C4A is. Find out what your HSCRP. Find out if you've got some inflammation because that's going to increase your risk. Find out if you're reduced in your vitamin D, for example, if your glutathione is too low. Find out if you've got exposure to various toxins. And the toxins, you know, there are three different groups. It's metals and inorganics. Of course, air pollution, a big one for Alzheimer's. Second thing is organics, toluene, benzene, formaldehyde, glyphosate, these sorts of things. And then biotoxins, things like trichothecenes and things like ochratoxin A and gliotoxin. All of these things are popping up as determinants. And just as, you know, Bruce Ames, Professor Bruce Ames, great guy who helped us all by developing the Ames test years ago for carcinogens. Currently, there is no single test for dementogens. That's one of the things we've been so interested in because they are much more common than people realize. We are all swimming in an Alzheimer's soup by what we're exposed to on a daily basis. And the fact that we don't eat enough detoxing foods and we don't do enough standard sort of detoxing things. So find out where you stand with these things. It's not hard to do. And then you can get ahead of the curve. You can find out and prevent yourself from having the cognitive decline that otherwise might occur. This is a you know, life and death issue. So a really good thing for people to figure out. My family and I have been using beautiful, high-quality essential oils for the last 20 years to live healthily every single day. Now, if you're passionate about health and are ready to step into leadership, I want to invite you to partner with my team and I to build a beautifully successful doTERRA business. Register at Pete 
hlc.com backslash Pete. That's Pete, HLC, which stands for the Healthy Living Collective, dot com backslash Pete. And I'll just before we go back to where you were talking about that lady, where do people get the testing done and what is the testing that they should be getting? Is it something that a functional medical doctor does? Is it something that a specialized clinic does? Is it a GP or a general yeah. practitioner? Who does this? Great point. Yeah. And so a cognoscopy consists of three things, basically. So one is a set of blood and urine tests, easy to do. But again, most doctors don't test for the very things that you need to test for to find out if you have risk for Alzheimer's disease, unfortunately. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to look at a simple online cognitive assessment because many people will say, well, you know, I'm interested in prevention, but in fact, they've already begun down the cognitive decline spectrum. And of course, this is one of the biggest problems. People don't realize when they begin, they just say, oh, I'm getting a little older. I'm maybe not quite as sharp as I used to be. But in fact, that's telling you something. That's telling you, you may be in the earliest stages. And again, everything's been backwards in the past. People say, don't worry about it because it's probably not Alzheimer's. And if it is, there's nothing you can do about it anyway. So in fact, it's the opposite. Not only do we want to make sure that people don't get Alzheimer's, but for those who have begun down and may not have Alzheimer's, it may be something else. It may be vascular related. It may be hormonally related. Let me give you a very quick example. I heard about, so I heard an amazing story today. Our daughter happens to be a brain health coach. Someone contacted her and they started talking. Turns out this woman at the age of 28, after having a child, began to have cognitive decline with what she called brain fog initially, mm-hmm. all sorts of issues, couldn't figure out. The doctors were like, well, you know, it's 28 years, you're postpartum, it could be postpartum depression, you know, who knows, and it'll probably get better. She continued to have problems for several years and said, you know, what is, am I, am I allergic to something? Is there, do I need an MRI? What's going on? So finally, at the age of 34, she had some genetic testing actually related to other things, but guess what popped out of that? She's apoe 44 so she is at very high risk for Alzheimer's, but she is also very, very young. So here's a great example of someone who needs a cognoscopy. We need to get to the bottom of this. Is this just about ApoE4? Are there other things that are going on? Does she have pathogens? Does she have a leaky gut? You know, there are so many issues. We now need to figure this out and get her on optimal treatments so that she can reverse her cognitive decline. So that's the second part of the cognoscopy. The third part is optional if you have no symptoms and you do well on the second part, the testing. So if you have no symptoms and you're testing well, you don't need an MRI with volumetrics. But if you're not testing well or if you have symptoms or both, then in fact, you want to have an MRI. You want to look at your hippocampal volume, for example. You want to look at the volume of your parietal lobes and your frontal lobes. You want to see where things stand there. So that's the idea. Those three things, you can get a tremendous insight into what's going on. Who does it, as you mentioned? Typically, an integrative doctor, you can do it by going on mycognoscopy.com, and that's a direct, you can directly get the labs, et cetera. However, they're set up in the US. So for Australia, go to a trained physician, go to an integrative physician, and talk to them about this. Fantastic. Now, we jumped across a few things because you were telling me a story about this person that uh, you found something or she found something. I forget the right word of it. It started with glucose or something like this. You were, you were mentioning something earlier. Which one are you talking about? 
before I interrupted you, you were talking about something that was interesting about the work that you're doing now and something that was just discovered or some, uh, you were telling me this story about somebody. So actually, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of new stuff coming out for sure. And I mentioned the propylene oxide. I think that's what mm-hmm. we were talking about. So this was a woman who presented with, you know, classical Alzheimer's disease. We, you know, looked at the usual things. I mean, she's one of the ones who did not respond particularly well. And one of the questions was, what, you know, what are we missing here? Typically, when we found that people are not doing well, something has been missed. Something hasn't been addressed. And so it ultimately turned out uh, in looking further, I mean, this was a beautiful work done by Dr. Anne Hathaway, that this particular person had very high levels of this particular toxin. And as that was addressed, she's actually uh, begun to get better. So very exciting to see that. One of the lessons, uh, the takeaways we found from this is that many people turn out to have undiagnosed reductions in oxygen saturation, the same thing we worry about with COVID-19, but they tend to have this while they sleep. So one of the things that's come out is the brain is looking for this ability. It's a tremendous utilizer, as you know, of energy, Hmm. not just from your food, but you need to deliver the blood. This is where exercise is so critical. You need to deliver oxygenated blood. So there's a remarkable study in which people simply looked at, okay, take a look at your oxygen saturation while you're sleeping. And now simply take your mean SpO2, so the average of your oxygen saturation at night, and it should be up at 96 to 98%. As it drops below that, simply looking at the average correlated beautifully with the volumetrics of your brain in multiple different nuclei, including critical nuclei of the brain for Alzheimer's disease. So as your oxygenation is going down, even though it may be going down to 90 or 85, which sounds pretty good, in fact, your brain is shrinking with that. So Hmm. your brain is critically dependent on this ability to deliver energy, to have mitochondrial function, to have that oxygen there. And that's one of the reasons why ketones have been so helpful and why we are strong believers and continue to be believers in getting into mild ketosis. When we look at best outcomes, it's typically people who were able to get into ketosis, whether it was exogenous or endogenous. We'd love for people to be able to do it endogenously, but that takes a while. So fine, this is an emergency. When you have cognitive decline, we're either going to help you or things are going to be really bad for your brain in the future. You know, again, you can look at Alzheimer's as a terminal illness. So we want to do everything possible, pull out all the stops, and make sure that people have appropriate oxygenation, appropriate ketosis, appropriate blood flow, appropriate vascular status. So, you know, if you've got a high triglyceride to HDL ratio, which is an excellent marker, then you are at high risk for having vascular disease. That's another common problem. So looking at these things, you can begin to see for each person why they are having the cognitive decline or why they are having the risk for cognitive decline. And you can also see why it's suboptimal to say, we're going to take all these different features that are so critical, and we're now going to patch them with one drug. 
I actually mm. believe that drugs are going to be very important as real adjuncts. They're going to help Alzheimer's disease. But right now, we're asking too much of them. We're asking them to do dozens of things, which is why they're all failing. Over 400 drug trials have failed in Alzheimer's disease. So in fact, and of course, the ones that have succeeded have had a very minimal, minimal impact. I think that what's going to happen as we now have these personalized precision medicine protocols, we're going to be able to see, okay, now these drugs, we can see where they're actually working, and we're going to have new drug targets. We're going to have things that target things like specific pathogens and specific toxins and that support you know, insulin sensitivity and things like that. So I think that this is a very exciting era as we're really beginning to see what Alzheimer's actually is and how to address the various targets that all contribute to the cognitive decline. Mm, I love it, brother. What I find so fascinating, I mean, you're a doctor of the brain. I've had so many different integrative uh, doctors and doctors and naturopaths and people from all walks of life talking about different things. But there seems to be a common denominator with, I could say, the things that you've spoken about today are the things that other integrative doctors and other naturopaths and whoever it is, researchers, scientists, it, it nearly seems like to live a long-term sustainable healthy life, there seems to be a formula or a blueprint or a foundational principle that if we all just started to do this as a society, as a population, then our chronic health issues would vastly improve. And when I say vastly, I mean a hell of a lot. And then what you're talking about, especially that last bit, specialized drugs or specialized pharmaceuticals for those bio-individual issues that people have. Whereas what I am seeing out there, especially even now with this COVID or coronavirus out there, is that very few health authorities are talking about that foundational principle of yeah. how to keep our bodies or our immune system healthy and strong and robust and resilient and and as you started this podcast talking about that so what differs with your work as one of the world's leading alzheimer's researchers as opposed to say dardis karazian that talks about how autoimmune disease this is his protocol for autoimmune disease and somebody else has one for type 2 diabetes but very very similar So what is the differing views in that? Or is it pretty much the same all across the board? (laughs) And I don't mean to belittle anything because I'm I'm in awe and wonder of all the work that you amazing doctors and scientists create. But for the lay person that's listening to this, is there a basic foundational principle that you would suggest? Yeah, so you've brought up several wonderful points, and I've talked to Dadis about this before. Very interesting stuff. So here's the thing. I started the book, as you saw, the new book, with this idea that we had vaccines that helped us with polio. You know, mm-hmm. we had various scourge. We, you know, humans have lived through the scourge of syphilis. They've lived through the scourge of leprosy. They've lived through the scourge of polio. They are still living through the scourge of HIV, although look how much better things are now than they were in the 1980s. Each of these things has been a major scourge, and each of them now is a past scourge, except, of course, HIV, which is still a scourge, but we're doing much better than we were 30 years ago with it, for example, 40 years ago. So here's the thing. We need to change our thinking 
we, we are looking for a vaccine. And there needs to be just as there was a global vaccination program for polio, we need to have a global vaccination program for Alzheimer's disease because this is a trillion dollar global problem. And in fact, we can now do something about it, but we've got to change the way we think. It's not a simple injection. It's, as you said, it's a series of things. Now, you brought up the point, isn't this all the same? Not exactly. And so here's why. When we came at this completely differently than the vast majority of integrated physicians, we came at this from, let's start in the test tube and let's ask what actually drives the molecular biology of neurodegeneration. And this is part of the interesting outcome. We now are applying this to ALS, to frontotemporal dementia, to Lewy body disease, to Parkinson's disease, to macular degeneration. The same general principles are going to be, it looks like, adaptable to each of these. Each has its own specific chemistry. So you are going to have to do different things for each one, but there will be overlap. So what you're mm -hmm. talking about is the overlap. Absolutely. And what's important about all these and what is the theme here is to go after the root cause. And so, you know, integrative and functional medicine talk about the root cause, which is so critical. What is actually driving the problem? And it has been really interesting to me. You know that there hasn't been a single trial in Alzheimer's in which they didn't predetermine what was going to be the treatment. So they said, okay, all these people are going to come in. We don't know what's causing their problem. But before they ever get here, we're going to treat them all with blank. Drug X or lifestyle change Y or what have you. Well, wait a minute. What's causing it? So this is like taking your car in to a mechanic. And the mechanic treats all cars the same. He just fills it off the gas and says, see if that helps. It makes no sense. And so, in fact, the trial that we are currently doing, and by the way, we tried to do this trial in 2011 in Australia, and we got turned down by the review boards in Australia. And they said, you know, this is a multivariable trial. You can't do this. It's not the way clinical trials work. We said, yeah, but this is the way Alzheimer's works. So, in fact, you've got to have these multivariables. So, we got turned down in the U.S. in 2018. We finally got the okay, the go-ahead in 2019. And so this thing will be finished up at the in December of 2020. And we're looking at people. And the difference here is we're looking at all the different things that are actually contributing to the disease. So everybody is looking at what pathogens they've been exposed to, what toxins they've been exposed to. Do they have leaky gut? Do they have insulin resistance? Do they have vascular damage? You know, on and on and on. We look at about 150 different variables here because then you can see what's actually driving the process. And then mm -hmm. we're targeting those things. Why would you think that just improving the cholinergic status in your brain is going to address all of these things? It's really so biologically naive to think that one little thing is going to deal with all these. This is a complex chronic illness. Now that comes back to your point, And I agree with you in many respects. Yes, we all want to have insulin sensitivity, because this is an important thing for your general metabolism and for your brain function. Virtually everybody with Alzheimer's has insulin resistance. About 80 million Americans have insulin resistance. 
Mm-hmm. An incredibly common problem. And, and of course, we, you know, we're giving it to ourselves. Uh, in the first book, I wrote a chapter, How to Give Yourself Alzheimer's Disease, just to show people how many of the things we're actually doing that contribute to our own cognitive decline. And yes, we all want our immune systems to function better. Yes, we all want our mitochondria to function better. To keep that, to sustain the ability for energetics. Um, We all want to make sure we don't have leaky guts. So you're absolutely right. The vast majority of us are suboptimal in many of these things. And interestingly, when we look at people with cognitive decline, we're typically finding 10 to 25 different contributors. When we look at people who are there for prevention, who don't have cognitive decline, we find fewer, not surprisingly. Typically, we find three to five different things. Ah, here, here's something that's targeted. Every once in a while, someone will come that's clearly headed in a bad direction, just saw one a couple of days ago, came in for prevention, and she clearly was kind of on the precipice and clearly had very high inflammatory markers, clearly things that would produce risk for cognitive decline. So thankfully, she came in early while her brain is still working well. 10 years from now, it may not have been the same. That's another good piece. We get a long runway We can help people for a long time. So please don't wait. If you begin to have cognitive decline, please get in as early as possible and don't wait. So yes, your point is largely true. There are a lot of things that we're all interested in doing in providing optimal health. But then you've got these Achilles heels. Each of your neural subsystems has a different Achilles heel. It's really interesting. So for example, complex one of the mitochondria, if you have inhibition of that, you're headed for Parkinson's disease. If you've got a mismatch in your trophic output and insulin resistance, you're more likely headed for Alzheimer's disease and so forth and so on. If you've got problems clearing glutamate from your synapses, you may be headed for ALS. Each one of these subsystems, it's really interesting, they're working like Maseratis. They're going like crazy. And so each one has its own Achilles heel. By the way, if you've got, you know, there's a whole system for what's required to make your macula function. So Mm -hmm. if you are living at high altitude or exposed to too much blue light, you've got a CFH SNP, you've got ongoing inflammation, you've got poor oxygenation, all of these things, these are the Achilles heels of the macula. So each of these has different sets. And interestingly, of course, optimal food plays an important role in each of these diseases and in preventing each of these diseases. I really hope you enjoyed the first half of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit evolvenetwork.tv. That's evolvenetwork.tv. We'll see you there. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.